Good morning. My name is George. I have the privilege of volunteering with the Global Ministry Team. And today's scripture passage is from Proverbs chapter 21, verses 1 to 5. In addition, I'll read related passages from Proverbs, and they will all be on the screen for you to follow. In the Lord's hand, the king's heart is a stream of water that he channels towards all who please him. A person may think their own ways are right, but the Lord weighs the heart. To do what is right and just is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. Haughty eyes and a proud heart, the unplowed field of the wicked produce sin. The plans of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. Without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. To humans belong the plans of the heart, but the Lord, but from the Lord comes the proper answer of the tongue. All a person's ways seem pure to them, but motives are weighed by the Lord. Commit to the Lord whatever you do, and he will establish your plans. The Lord works out everything to its proper end, even the wicked for a day of disaster. Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. The horse is made ready for the day of battle, but the victory belongs to the Lord. This is God's word. Thank you, George. We learned last week about understanding God's will, and today, in light of that, we're going to learn about how to make decisions. Let's pray together and invite the Holy Spirit to help us. Heavenly Father, thank you that every person in this room matters to you. You're aware of all the decisions that lie before us. You know perhaps the worry, anxiety, maybe for some even crippling fear related to such decisions. We pray today as we look at your word that by the power of your spirit, we have confidence in what you have said and revealed. Pray that we would learn to trust you Pray that we would put into practice all that you teach us so that we can become men and women who are wise and wise in our decisions. And I pray for those who do not yet know you, even if they're joining us online. We pray today they would know that the most important decision they could ever make is the decision to trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior. We pray that they would do that today. And we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Well, there are seven words that when combined and posed in the form of a question, they can stir up such massive indecisiveness that it's even known to cause battles in the most committed of marriages and even amongst the best of friends. And that question is, 
where do you want to eat tonight? <laughs> Some of you can feel the anxiety palpable in your own mind now. Some people call it the analysis paralysis. It's the feeling I get when my wife sends me to Trader Joe's and says, well, just get milk. But what kind of milk? There's regular milk, 1%, 2%, almond milk, organic milk, oat milk. And I have no doubt that in my heritage of San Francisco Bay Area, California, that they have hemp milk now made from rope. I don't know. There's too many options. Which one? So if you find me in the store, chances are I will be on the phone. I'm like, which one is it? I don't want to make the wrong decision. I came across a list this week called seven terrifying questions to ask an indecisive person. I thought it was hilarious. Hot or iced? Coffee or tea? Oh, let's be real. That one's easy. Easy. It's coffee. You're welcome. <laughs> what should we watch? Should you text them? Which photo should I post? <laughs> Which filter should I use? That wasn't on there, but I'm sure it causes many anxiety. And is that your final answer? Oh. We see this kind of decision-making anxiety everywhere across society, but we also see it within the church. When you decide to follow Jesus, you realize very quickly when you read the Bible that your decisions carry a lot of weight. Every decision matters. And one of the reasons for decision-making anxiety amongst believers has to do with how we understand God's will. Last week, uh, Pastor Dave was with us, and he presented a paradigm shift in how we think about and understand knowing God's will. It is so important. I would like to summarize some of those lessons, and then today, from the book of Proverbs, give us practical steps for how we are to make decisions in light of God's will. So by way of review, we've learned this. There is a conventional, popular way of understanding God's will, and it is this. God has a will or a detailed plan for your life, but he hides it from you. Your mission, if you choose to accept it, is to find God's will. So think of a, an archery target. And with every decision, you need to get it just right and hit that bullseye. If you hit that bullseye, you are winning. But if you don't get it precisely right in your mission and your search, well, you get plan B, maybe plan C, maybe even plan D, which leads to this enormous amount of anxiety over every single choice. Think about the big ones like, who should I marry? Well, God has the one in this particular framework, and I need to find him or her. It's kind of like, where's Waldo? If you ever read that with your kids or read it growing up. But if you miss the target and you don't marry the one, then you marry someone else, which is crazy because that's somebody else's one. And then they didn't marry somebody else's one, and then you've just got arrows flying everywhere, and we've all missed it everywhere except the target. 
That's the conventional, even popular view of God's will. God has a will. He has a plan for your life, but he hides it. Your job is to find it. Well, there's several problems with that, as we learned last week, and I'll list it like this. The trouble with this conventional view of God's will, firstly, is it's not in the Bible. And that's a problem. We're never told to be preoccupied with God's hidden will. We're never told to be preoccupied with God's future will. At times, he might reveal it, but we are not told to be occupied with seeking it. Rather, we are to be focused on what he has revealed. More on that in a moment. But secondly, this view implies a cruel God. God has a plan, but he's not going to tell you. Instead, life becomes a maze, and maturity is measured by solving the puzzle. There's a lot of uh, films made about this and books written about this, that God is this cruel God. He's like, I put you in a maze and that's my will and you just need to go find it. And every now and again, I might just throw you a little bone, give you a little clue. And maybe, just maybe, you might find a way out. But that's not the picture in the Bible. God is not cruel. He is not like this. The third problem is that it undermines personal responsibility which is spoken of all over scripture. All the scriptures about how we are responsible to make decisions and all the tools that were given in God's word to make them. It undermines personal responsibility. And at times, in more extreme ways, people who hold to this conventional view, they ignore a lot of what scripture says about the daily process of making decisions. For example, I've heard this one a lot. I'm not going to get a job until I hear an audible voice. And I've known some where this problem has gone on for many months. So if that's you, let me be your audible voice today. Get a job. Which one? One that pays. Wisdom. (laughs) Or how about this one? The person who's dating... And they quickly discover that there's not really a chemistry with the person they're dating. Maybe they decide they're not particularly attracted to them. But instead of just breaking it off and telling them plainly, they use a phrase like this. I just feel like God is calling me to focus on singleness right now. Oh, that's interesting because it's the eighth time this year that God is calling you to focus on singleness. It kind of appeals to this hidden thing like I tried it out for two days, but then no, God's calling me on singleness. Hey, just say you're not attracted to him. Just say, hey, this isn't working out. However, nice way you can think to say it. It undermines personal responsibility when we view this like hidden maze view of God's will. And lastly, it leads to an obsession about the future. And let's be honest, many of us are obsessed about the future. The next job, the next place we're going to live. For most of us, We think that we need to predict the future in order to make good decisions today. And so the Bible becomes like one of those magic eight balls. Remember those? You buy them in gift shops. You just shake it and then, you know, hope it gives you the answer that you like. And if you didn't like that answer, what can you do? Shake it again. (laughs) You play Bible roulette and you're like, I don't like that one. You know, I don't like that one either. I'm going to keep trying until I get an answer I like. We think we need to predict the future in order to make a decision today. But that's not what Jesus said. 
Matthew chapter 6 in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat or what shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Do not worry about tomorrow. It's not a suggestion. It is a command. So to be clear, we are not called to seek out God's detailed plan for 2023, but to focus on seeking his kingdom today. And knowing this highlights many passages about how to make decisions. Now, some of you might say, well, what about the future? Well, it's what we like to call God's hidden will and God's revealed will. God's hidden will about the future is just that. It's hidden. And for his good purposes, our infinite God has chosen not to reveal those things to us. But what he has revealed to us in his word are all the things we are to be occupied with today. Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 29 conveniently, says this, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our children forever that we may follow all the words of this law. What a great summary of God's hidden will and God's revealed will. We're never responsible to discover God's hidden will. We are responsible to do his revealed will. And in the context of Deuteronomy, it is the words of the law instructions that God gave to his people for how they are to live on a day-in, day-out basis. We are never told that we need to discover his hidden will, but to do his revealed will. And so, if we could summarize, it's this. God wants to shift us from being obsessed with his will for tomorrow to being occupied with his will for today. This is what the Bible emphasizes, and this is what the book of Proverbs teaches. Proverbs, written by the ancient King Solomon, full of wisdom, talks about God's future will being hidden, but still focusing on the present responsibility you and I have to make decisions today. But our question is, how? Well, I'm gonna lay out right now what we might call the ordinary means of making decisions. There are extraordinary means of making decisions, but they are just that, extraordinary. They are the exception, not the rule. There are times you find in the New Testament, for example, where God might give a prophetic word or some supernatural guidance. It happens. It's miraculous. That's why it's called a miracle, not Wednesday. So it it happens as an exception, not as a rule. When you look at the life of the Apostle Paul, for example, there were times where God would supernaturally guide him. But more often than not, you see him making daily decisions. And that's what I want us to focus on today. What is our responsibility on a daily basis? Well, the good news, friends, is we are not meant to grope in the dark for directions God wants us to know what he has said, and to trust him and to be wise. This is what Proverbs is about. So here are five brief steps to making wise decisions. 
having had that shift from that conventional popular view of God's will to the more biblical view of God's will, which is we are to do what his will has made known in scripture, here are five steps to making wise decisions. And the first is the most important. You listen to God's word. You listen to what God has already said. Christians believe that God's word, rightly understood, reveals his will for our lives. He created us, he loves us, and he has communicated with us. And so listening to what he has already said is absolutely key. That's why the book of Proverbs, before it lays out all its wonderful wisdom, starts in Proverbs chapter one with this. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Being in awe of God, what he has said, what he has already done is the beginning of wisdom. A relationship with him is the priority in all of my decision making. That means you and I are to weigh every decision in light of who God is and what he has said. For ultimately, he is our judge. Proverbs chapter 21, verse two to three says, all a man's ways seem right to him, but the Lord weighs the heart. To do what is right and just is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. Notice the emphasis there on doing what is right and just as being acceptable to God. God in his word has showed us how to live righteously, how to live justly. He's also revealed in his word what we are to avoid. So we were reminded last week, when it comes to your choices, you should avoid what scripture tells you to avoid and to pursue what scripture tells you to pursue. For example, what should I avoid? Choices that are sinful and choices that are stupid. And they're not always the same thing. Somebody asked me last week, well, aren't things that are sinful also stupid? I'm like, sometimes, but not all the time. Is it sinful for me to eat trash out of my trash can? No. <laughs> Some of you said, yeah. I don't see a particular verse in the Bible about that. But is it stupid? Yes, it's stupid. The Bible gives us so much about living wisely and living righteously, turning us away like the book of Proverbs does from foolishness. The Bible is also absolutely clear about what is sinful. So for those considering such decisions, like, should I cheat on my spouse? The answer is no. And while that might seem almost humorous, I cannot tell you the amount of times that I have heard in my pastoring experience, people who have said, I've left my spouse, I found a new one, I just felt like God was in it. I cheated on my spouse and I felt like God led me to this person. I'm like, are you kidding me? That is absolutely condemned in scripture. That wasn't God that was leading you. Should I cheat in my work? No, that is sinful. Should I steal? No, that is sinful. So we need to ask, are the choices that I'm considering going against what God has already revealed? steering me away from what is sinful and stupid. And then we need to ask, how can I pursue in this decision things that God has already revealed? For example, God has told me to seek his kingdom 
and his priorities. God has told me to focus on daily character, what is true, what is righteous, what is just, what is fair, what is loving. How can I have an attitude of gratitude in this situation? These are all things that God has already revealed. I'm called as a follower of Jesus to make disciples, for example. So if a choice is presented for me, let's say about my work or about your job, you need to ask this. Maybe you've been offered a new position at your job, but it's going to require you to work 85 hours a week. And you're like, oh, it pays really well. I think God might be in this. Well, let's look at other factors. Let's say you're married. Let's say you have children. A job that requires you to work 85 hours a week. I'm intentionally exaggerating. Some of you are like, oh, well, me, it's only a nice 82. Will that take you away from your responsibility to love your spouse and to love your children? Then it's probably unwise. It's certainly not going to help you in your pursuit of doing what God has already revealed. Husbands and wives loving one another, leading, nourishing, teaching your children. I need to ask, well, how does this choice affect my ability to make other disciples of Jesus? If it's not sinful, and if it's not stupid, and if it's in line with these priorities already laid out in God's word, that is an important first step. And avoiding those sinful and stupid things and pursuing the priorities that God has already given us, you can say that you are walking in a blessable space, as we learned last week. Because we believe that God has given us clarity where most clarity is needed. For example, God's not going to tell you in his word which particular person to marry but God is going to tell you in his word what marriage is all about and what kind of characteristics you should look for in a spouse. God is not going to tell you which particular house to buy in the Bible. So don't just open up the Bible and you're like, oh, it's an Auburn color in the Bible and so I need to buy the house on Auburn Lane. Like, don't do that. And if you do that with marriage, so many good names are ruled out, you know? Dating this person, you're like, sorry, Stacy, your name's not in the Bible. I even looked up Hebrew and Greek, even Aramaic for good measure, and you're not there. <laughs> but the Bible will teach you about wisdom, how to use your finances, how to cultivate good relationships. In other words, the decisions which carry the most weight are decisions that are addressed in Scripture. He guides us most clearly in his word. Marriage for an example doesn't tell you specifically in the word of God which person to marry, but does tell us all about marriage, the meaning and the purpose of marriage and what attributes a person has that would make for a good spouse. For example, if you're dating someone, you need to first ask, does this person love God? That is the most important, most fundamental questions. And I'm surprised that that often needs to be emphasized. How many times have I sat in an office and they're like, oh, but we have chemistry. I'm like, okay. Does he love Jesus? Not really. Okay. I remember sitting, no joke, with, with a couple who wanted to do pre-marriage counseling. And as I often do, I start with hearing their testimony before I decide to do the next six weeks of premarital counseling. And on this particular occasion, you know, I asked the woman, hey, how did you come to know Jesus? She said, well, I was raised in a Christian home, so I've been a Christian from a young age. Great, hear her story. And then I go to the guy, I'm like, how did you meet Jesus? He's like, oh, I don't know if I believe Jesus is real. 
And I was like, oh. And in that moment, she reaches down and grabs his knee, you know, the under the table knee grab. And she goes, honey, I told you to tell him that you're a Christian. And he's like, actually, I have honest questions about Jesus. And I was like, great, let's talk about Jesus. But as far as the relationship, you need to know that the most fundamental decisions in this relationship is far from settled. And that's what you need to deal with first. We listen to God's word. We seek his kingdom, his righteousness, all the attributes and characteristics and choices that he's already revealed in his word. To quote Jerry Sitzer, who we heard from last week, wrote an excellent book called The Will of God is a Way of Life. He says this, the one will God has for us consists of a commitment to put him first in everything. Then when we make specific decisions concerning the future, we can be confident that what we choose becomes God's will for our lives. Putting God first is the fundamental decision that will shape all others. And so I need to listen to God's word. The focus is not just on getting stuff from God, but becoming more and more like Jesus. See, this point isn't as as exciting for some of us because we just want the shortcut. We just want the, the heavenly PDF to descend, telling us exactly what to do tomorrow. But look at it this way. It's that wisdom is the difference between going to a great economics professor and paying them to write your paper for you or taking a class from that economics professor and learning how to write the type of paper she would write. We want to become more and more like God. And as a loving heavenly father, He gives us his revealed word. He calls us to put it into practice so that we would be trained, so that we would grow, not just get quick answers. So are we putting God first? Are we listening to God's word? Are we allowing him to rule and reign, or in some translations, quite literally, to umpire in our lives, saying, no, avoid this. Yes, pursue these things. Number one, we need to listen to God's word. But number two, underneath that, we are to seek out wise counsel. Let's say you have big financial decisions. Maybe there is someone you want to marry. Maybe you're having struggles with your family and with your your children or struggles at work. You go to God's word. You allow him to rule out what is sinful and stupid and to pursue his kingdom and his righteousness and put into practice all the attributes and activities he's called us to do. But then you're called to seek out wise counsel which is an important point because many of us make decisions in complete isolation. And oftentimes, they are some of the biggest decisions. We have this belief, I'm stronger on my own. Or we're just afraid of the wise counsel that other people might have because it might not fit in with our prejudged opinion. But isolation, according to Proverbs, is not a sign of strength, it is a sign of pride. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 15 says, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. Let's get practical. This is so important. Every single one of us, we have blind spots, areas that we do not always see without the help of other people. 
if I isolate myself, I'm not going to see those blind spots, and I'm going to be prone to think that whatever just comes naturally to me is just going to be great. I need someone else to help me see what I don't naturally see. Wise counsel, godly community is a part of this. Wise relationships keep us from doing what is selfish, stupid, and sinful. Having wise, godly people around you, then, is like a mirror. It holds up for you to see what you wouldn't otherwise see. You don't have the best perspective. When we are tempted to turn in on ourselves or justify a terrible choice that you already know is wrong, other godly people can give us perspective. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 14, drives this home. Where there is no guidance, a people falls. But in an abundance of counselors, there is safety. There is safety. I need good community. Underneath God's word, I need wise and godly counsel. So when you need to make particularly a big decision, listen to God's word and seek out wise counsel. What does that look like? Let's be practical. What types of people should you seek out when you need to make a decision? Let me give you three examples. Find people who are familiar with your life. Find people who are familiar with your situation. And find people who are familiar with leadership. Think about those each in turn for a moment. When you need to make a decision, what does it look like to seek out wise counsel? Well, find people who are familiar with your life. It could be close friends. It could be your family members. They know you. They know your strengths. They know your weaknesses. They know your particular temptations. I'm very thankful to have several people in my life that I've known for many, many years, so much so that when I present to them some big idea, they immediately were like, well, Tim, I know you get really s silly when it comes to these areas. And I'm like, oh, really? Like, how silly? He's like, yeah, pretty stupid. I'm like, okay, thank you. Thank you for that. But they know me. They know my temptations. They know my proclivities. They, they see them. So find people who are familiar with your life. Say, hey, you know my strengths and weaknesses. Like, is this a wise or a foolish decision? But more than that, maybe the people who are close to you don't have as much experience with the situation you're dealing with. And that's why the second example is important. Find people who are familiar with your situation. For example, maybe you're dealing with a legal situation and it's really tricky and you don't know the right decision to make. And maybe some of your close friends and family members like, oh, I don't know, I've never really dealt with that before. One of my roles as a pastor in the church is actually a connector. I like to connect people in the church who have a need with other people who are wise in that area. So to use that example, I may not have had experience with maybe that particular legal battle that you're dealing with. But you know what? I heard of a few other godly men and women who have. Let me connect you with them and you can ask them tons of questions. They're wise, godly people and maybe some of their counsel will help you because they're familiar with it. Maybe you're struggling with your finances. Seek out people who are familiar with those types of circumstances and glean from their wisdom. Find people who have a good track record in dealing with those particular situations. And thirdly, find people who are familiar with leadership. Those who can point you to scripture. Those who can point you to truth. 
Now remember in all of this, the key is wise and godly counsel. Don't just look for yes people who are just gonna be pure enablement for you. And let's be honest, we have a few of those in our lives. We tend to cherry pick when it comes to counsel. You're like, ooh, I wanna spend all this you know, money in a totally irresponsible way, but I'm not gonna call him, I'm not gonna call her. Ooh, I know who I'm gonna call, my party friend. I'm gonna call them and they're like, yes, do it. And you're like, yes, I love it. Everyone else, you're like, I don't like your advice. Remember, wise and godly is the key. So how do you make wise decisions? First of all, you listen to God's word. It's our authority. Secondly, you seek out wise counsel. Third, look at your current circumstances. I think this is an underrated way in which we can actually find guidance. Sometimes we can, as exemplified in scripture, find some kind of direction by looking at the opportunities around us. Notice the combination of man's responsibility and God's sovereignty in Proverbs chapter six, verse nine. We can make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. Meaning we can make our plans, but many circumstances and events are simply out of our control and out of responsibility, such as the time in which you live, right? I had no choice, you had no choice. We just happened to be alive in the year 2020, 2022, if I can say that correctly. We just happened to be alive in this year. That was outside of my responsibility. The technology and opportunities available that are unique to this year are outside of my responsibility. There are many things outside of the choices that I make. But by looking at these circumstances, sometimes we can determine which doors are closed and which doors are open. You see Paul the Apostle, to use him as an example again in the New Testament, of often looking for open and closed doors. In fact, he even used that language at times. What opportunity is there? What opportunity is not? Or another way is look at the gifts that you have and the resources that God has given you. For people who are trying to make a decision about their vocation, for example, I've had people come up to me and say, hey, I think I want to be a teacher. And I'm like, great. Can you teach? Like, no, I can't teach. Like, oh, okay, May maybe consider something else. Or the person who's like, I think I want to be a stand-up comedian. You're like, that's weird. Because I've known you for eight years and I've literally never laughed. Like, I don't know. Like, what gifts has God given you? What resources has he given you? What is made available to you? What jobs have been offered? What jobs are open? Which universities have said yes? Where has God placed me in this season? The book of Esther that we studied last year is an incredible example of this. Esther and her uncle Mordecai were brought into a situation far beyond their own control. And yet it turns out, as she famously says, who knows but that I have been placed here for such a time as this so that I can use my position and power on behalf of the Jewish people. Look at your circumstances. Where are the closed doors? Where are the open doors? One thing that scripture clearly condemns is laziness. Not only here in Proverbs, but elsewhere in scripture. So sometimes you have to knock on the doors to see if they are open. I've had friends who've said, well, I put my resume online, but I haven't gotten anything yet. I'm like, oh, have you actually emailed anyone? No. 
just put it out there on LinkedIn. There's only a few people on LinkedIn right now, so I figure they'll find it. Like, maybe ask, maybe email someone. See, just because something's simple or just because something's easy does not necessarily mean that it's a closed or open door. Difficulty and ease do not necessarily mean a closed or open door because we all know sometimes choosing to do the right thing The door that is open is one that is far from easy. Look at Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane as he surrendered his will to the Father to lay down his life for us and to die on a cross for our sins. Look at the circumstances around you. What has God given you? What gifts and resources has he been making available to you? We start with God's word, we seek out wise counsel, we look at our circumstances, and then, fourth, we pray with simple faith. We pray. The way of wisdom includes talking to God about your choices. In fact, we're told to constantly be in prayer. But instead of praying with obsession over our future, God's word guides us to pray today with simple faith. Pray for things that you already know are God's will as you prepare to make a decision. Notice how the book of Proverbs addresses the topic of prayer with a strong moral element. Proverbs chapter 28, verse 5 says, Evildoers do not understand what is right, but those who seek the Lord understand it fully. Notice what's being communicated there. Evildoers not understanding what is right. But those who seek the Lord, those who are praying to the Lord, they understand what is right. This is a fascinating verse because it shows that the person who seeks the Lord already knows what is right. That is what is fair, what is just, what is honoring to the Lord, what puts the Lord first. But even when you know that, you're still to be seeking the Lord. So for example... Let's say there's a decision about that job and you don't have a particular unction towards one or the other. Well, you can pray today, God, help me to have good motives in my decision-making because I know your word says that you care about pure motives. So God, help me to have pure motives. God, help me to be humble in this decision. Help me not to be prideful thinking that I know how it's all gonna work out as if I am ultimately in control of my whole life. God, help me to trust you with the outcome. We pray with simple faith. You know what I I often pray, if you want like a little secret, although it's not much of a secret, this is my prayer when I'm making a choice. Lord, I'm stupid. So I'm like, I'm trying to put this together and to the best that I can discern, like I think I'm gonna make a decision here, but please, please, if I am missing anything, just fire that warning shot across the bow of my ship so that I don't steer in the wrong way. Having looked at God's word, sought out wise counsel, looking at the open doors and the closed doors around me, I just say, Lord, I'm gonna, I think, I think this is the direction I'm gonna go, but if I'm making a stupid decision here, like I'm an idiot, so can you just make it clear? You can borrow that if, if you want. <laughs> Pray with simple faith. You know the things that God has prioritized in your life. God, as I make this decision, help me to seek your kingdom. God, as I make this decision, help me to seek your righteousness. God, as I seek this decision, help me to love the people who are in my life and to point them to Jesus Christ. These are things that we can pray on a daily basis with simple faith. 
And if you are a person who listens to the word of God, seeks out wise counsel, looks at your circumstance, and prays with simple faith, then you come to this last dreaded decision, which is to make a decision. <laughs> Number five, make a decision and trust God. Make a decision and trust God. And I suppose this step is one of the hardest for us. Because if I'm being honest, I don't like to give up control. And I wanna know the outcome. I wanna secure the outcome. But the truth is, I am not God and neither are you. Just because we can see some of what God is up to in our lives doesn't mean that we can see all of it. So following these steps above, we make a good decision and we leave the results with God. We plan, but God establishes. That's how it works. That's the pattern. And that's presented beautifully in Proverbs chapter 21, verse 31. The horse is made ready for the day of battle, but victory rests with the Lord. What a wonderful verse. It shows my responsibility. If you're a soldier going out to army, you've got to prepare the horse, you've got to prepare the weapons in that day. But ultimately, the victory, the outcome, if you will, that belongs with the Lord. So much of my anxiety, so much perhaps of your anxiety when it comes to decisions is we want to control the outcome. You're like, God, okay, I'm gonna make this wise decision. I've listened to your words, sought out wise counsel, but I want to know exactly what's gonna happen in 2023. Otherwise, I'm gonna sit here and not make any decisions at all. But I read a verse like this and elsewhere in scripture and I'm confronted with the fact that deep down, a lot of my worry and anxiety is due to the fact that I don't want to lose an element of control. And that's when I have to be reminded that God is sovereign and I am not. So long as it is not sinful or stupid and it pursues the priorities of scripture, it's what we call a blessable space. But I suppose as we come to this point, many of us are aware of the stupid decisions we have made, maybe even the sinful decisions we've made. Are we doomed? What do we do? Where can we find comfort? Well, that's when we think about the staggering nature of the promises of God and his grace. In one of the most well-known passages, Romans chapter eight, verse 28, which says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. You say, wait, all? Yes, it means all with nothing left out. Does God's sovereignty even, can he work even my stupid decisions for good? The answer is yes. In God's grace, he sovereignly directs things to work for his good purposes. This does not in any way excuse our bad choices, sinful or stupid choices, nor does this exempt us from experiencing some of the consequences of those choices. But it does mean that he redeems them. It does mean that he redeems them. His love and his sovereignty are so great that not even you can mess it up. Not even I can mess it up. 
And so many of us are there now, we're like, oh, I've made these stupid decisions, and you're just thinking, am I finished? Well, let me say this. At this moment now, no matter how you got to where you are today, you can surrender to God right now and know that he is rewriting your story. And if you are not yet a Christian, you are one choice away from being able to say, all things work together for my good. And that choice is to trust in Jesus Christ as your savior. And for those of us who are Christians, you're like, well, how can I say with confidence today that God works all things together for good? It's when you remember the gospel. Because the gospel tells all of us that all of our bad choices resulted in us losing God. There was no way back for us, humanly speaking. The only thing that we had was judgment. But Jesus came, lived a perfect life, died on a cross for all of our foolish and sinful choices. He rose again from the grave as a guarantee that if you trust in him, your future and eternity is ultimately secured. He has secured all of his blessings for you, not because of your work, but because of his work. So when you, amen, when you decide to trust in Jesus, the most important decision has already been made. So Christian, I say to you, that means all the other decisions that you and I are freaking out right now, though they might be big, they do not mean the salvation of your soul or the end of the world. Some of you are like, what about the house? It's like, yeah, it's a big decision, but it's not gonna save your soul and it's not the end of the world. Jesus is like, hey, hi, knocking. I'm Jesus, Lord, Savior. Yeah, the house is not gonna save you. The house is not gonna destroy your life if you don't get it. I'm the one that saves you. The most important decision has already been made if you have trusted in Jesus. It takes the burden off all these other decisions because whatever decision you make, it will not ultimately determine your identity and your joy. And if you think the next decision is going to determine your everlasting joy, then you will feel the pressure and it's gonna be hard for you to think rationally because there's too much at stake. But the gospel removes all of that off the table and says to you this, that what is most important is the deliverance from the guilt of our sin and that's already taken place through Jesus. So you can make a decision in light of his word, pray and trust him. God is sovereign. He is never asleep. He's never surprised. He's not on the edge of his seat waiting to see how 2022 turns out. He's never caught off guard. He's never at a loss. He's never wondering what to do. He does not fret. He does not worry. He is not anxious. He is almighty God, who is also our loving heavenly father, who in a mysterious way is weaving all things together for our good. And when we die and we breathe our last, we're gonna look back at our lives and say, Jesus, you did all things well. You are sovereign and I trust you. So let's bring all of our decisions to him. Let's e bring even our bad ones and ask him for forgiveness today and trust in a sovereign God, amen? Let's do that now. Father, we thank you for this moment in light of your word that we can take the burden of all of our decisions and we can look at them in light of who you are and what you have done for us ultimately in Jesus Christ. God, I suspect that many of us, these big decisions about work or money or where to live or family, though big, might be carrying too much eternal significance. 
and it's left us with crippling fear and anxiety. Would you remind us today that the most important matter has already been settled in Jesus Christ and that we can come to you as our loving heavenly father, following your word, listening to your spirit and trusting your sovereignty. It may be today, Lord, that we need to confess our fear of being out of control. May you remind us that you are God, we are not. But also that you are good and worthy of all of our trust. I pray that right now as we respond in worship and prayer and communion, that this would be a moment of surrender and trust. Saying, God, I wanna listen to you. I wanna put into practice what you've already said. I wanna pray to you and I wanna trust you. Would you help us to do that now, God? And for those who do not yet know you, I pray that right now they would put their faith and trust in Jesus and be saved. That they would not wait another moment before that, making that most important decision. May they do that even right now in this moment. And Holy Spirit, would you lead us as we respond now? In Jesus' name.